Turn in your Bible, please, to the book of Judges. We read together this portion again that has been our consideration now already for two weeks. Judges chapter 7, verse 9 through 15, and I will read it. Again, in your hearing. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, that is unto Gideon, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But... If thou fear to go down, go thou with Thura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then he went down with Thura, his servant, under the outside of the armed men that were in the host. That is, down to the ranks of five. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude. And their camels were without number as the sand of the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto the tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said this, is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. Turn with me, please, in your hymn book. Before we look at that text, stand with me, and we sing together number 629. My thoughts surmount these lower skies And look within the veil There springs of endless pleasure rise 
The waters never fail. There I behold with sweet delight the blessed three in one and strong affections fix my sight. On God's incarnate Son, His promise stands forever firm. His grace shall ne'er depart. He binds my name upon His arm. And seals it on his heart. Light are the pains that nature brings. How short our sorrows are. When with eternal future things. The present we compare. Thou knowest not be a stranger still to that celestial place where I forever hope to dwell near my Redeemer's face. They can be seated. I had titled the message that was begun on last week, Arise, Go Down. Or alternately, I said it could be called the going down before the going down. I'm sure you picked up on that as we read through the text again this morning. We've begun on actually week before last to look at this portion, verses 9 through 15 in this record of the judges in chapter 7. And on last week, specifically, I had started this message and trying to take up this portion of the history that Gideon had with this angel coming to him now, finally, and saying, Gideon, the time is now. The time has finally come after all the events of chapter 6, and all that's leading up to this verse 9 in chapter 7. After all of that, the message has finally come this very night, verse 9. Arise, get thee down. The time has come. But then I started on last week to express to you from this text that as that word comes to Gideon in verse 9, the very next verse in verse 10, we find out that Gideon is still struggling. 
he's still struggling. Gideon is still struggling. And I pointed out to you that from that text, we find this precious, incomprehensible, unfathomable graciousness of our sovereign Lord in his condescension. <laughs> he sees Gideon's heart. The command comes in verse 9 and we hear nothing from the lips of Gideon but immediately on that command as it were as we would say our expression in the same breath the Lord speaks to Gideon in verse 10 about his struggle. But if thou fear to go down. And I talked for some good while last week about the Lord seeing our hearts when no man knows. I made the statement last week that Israel could not see, did not need to see, should not see what we see from Revelation in this text that Gideon's heart is still struggling. So what must Gideon learn tonight, this night? And I had begun a list on last week to express to you what Gideon and we need to learn in times like this. I told you first of all last week that he must learn a lesson that this truth that our God, the great God of glory, may be, may be moved even without words by the stirrings of a righteous heart in distress. God, the great God of glory, was moved. Moved to compassion on the struggling heart of Gideon without him saying a word. He sees it. He knows it. And he condescends to come. I told you second of all that it is not only the heart of the saints that are open to his inspection but we find from the rest of this record that I read to you this morning that even the heart of every unbelieving enemy is open to our God. He sees it. He knows what they're doing. He knows what they're saying. He knows what they're thinking. Our God sees not just the heart of the saint in his struggle, but the heart of the unbeliever in their rebellion. God sees, and I used, I didn't spend a great deal of time in it, and I will not today, but we talked about I mentioned Esther and the plot 
the Lord knew. He saw the heart of Haman. He knew the heart of the unbelievers. Thirdly, thirdly, I said to you that the sovereignty, this less, there is a lesson here in the sovereignty of our God. Not only does our God give this dream to the Midianite, but he gives his Midianite companion the knowledge and wisdom to interpret it properly, all of which speaks speaks keenly to this doctrine, this truth of the sovereignty of our God. And so it was that we saw these lessons, lessons Gideon must learn. But now, fourthly, I give you yet another lesson. I say to you that Gideon must learn tonight and we must learn today that our God will encourage his people if only they will learn to read his providence aright. Our God will encourage his people. He sees the stirrings of your heart. He sees the fear. He sees the struggle. He understands. He knows. And he will move of his own sovereign will and purpose. He will move to the comforting and encouraging of his people. If only they will learn to read his providence aright. <laughs> Bishop Hall said, A wise providence hath prepared a dream in the head of one Midianite, an interpretation in the mouth of another, and hath brought Gideon to be the auditor of both and hath made his enemies his enemies, prophets of his victory, encouragers of the attempt, proclaimers of their own confusion, and Gideon read it all. <laughs> Gideon read it all. Oh, dear saint. God will comfort his people. If we learn to read his providence aright. Gideon, you're going to need to go down there. And I've arranged everything. And you're going to hear it. And by that providence, you're going to be able to march on this host. But Gideon is going to have to go down. He's going to have to hear. He's going to have to read God's providence. Oh, but dear saint, don't miss another tiny bit of encouragement tucked away in verse 14. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the name, uh, save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Now here are these two Midianites in the dark of the night discussing on the borders of this army where they are standing guard, they're discussing a dream that one of them had. 
and the other hears the dream and knows immediately that it is nothing else than this man, this man Gideon, the son of Joash. Don't miss this, saint. They already knew his name. <laughs> he hadn't raised an arm. He had not drawn a sword. He had no battle history. He had no biography in the public realm that would have put him forward for this task. He was a farmer down there in a wine press threshing the grain. But over there in the camp of the Midianites, they already knew his name. <laughs> oh, listen to me now. Oh, when your light shines as it should, the enemy will know your name. I fear that many of us are known for all the wrong reasons. I meditated on this as I was writing. I paused and thought of some names that come to my mind. Names that come to my mind just as Gideon's name came to this man's mind when he heard this story. Names that stand out in my past because of their walk with God. We never hear the name, those of us that knew him, we never hear the name of Paul Cornett. It's hard for me to even say his name and not weep because it was so normal for weeping. Just weeping. The Gormleys and those of us that are older will know the name. Sister McKinney, church that we used to belong to, she was known for one thing, praying for her son. Her name was known. My pastor, you didn't know Brother James Ransom up in Gainesville. His name was known. No, these were people in my personal life. Maybe you have numerous names you could call in your mind. People that are known to you, known their name, conjures up a certain sight because of their walk with the Lord. And that night, in the darkness, that camp, two soldiers are talking. And a name comes up. This is none other than Gideon, the son of Joash. Why? His name was already known. Is your name known this morning? Where is it known? For what is it known? Does your name, when it's mentioned, Bring before people's minds images of things that draw them closer to God. His name was known. 
And he says this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Josh. This is the Midianite camp we're looking at. But now look with me. And I'll give you number five. Yet another very hard lesson. I said this is a hard lesson. I'm going to give you a hard lesson from this text. Here it is. God's answer to your fears may be more frightful than your original fear. Mm. God's answer to your fears may be more frightful than the original fear. Listen, Matthew Henry said, being so, he orders, God orders Gideon the sight of something that was no doubt discouraging. It was enough to frighten him to discern, probably by the moonlight, the vast numbers of his enemy. In verse 12, we're told that they were like grasshoppers for a multitude, that the, just the camels alone were without number. They were like the sins of the seaside. And God tells Gideon, go down there, Gideon, and I want you to see, I want you to hear. You go down to the camp. And, and Matthew Henry said the sight of him couldn't have been anything but discouraging to go down and see this multitude, these grasshoppers of men and camels everywhere. He causes him to go down and see it. But he's going to hear that which was to him a very good omen. And when he had heard Heard it, he went back immediately, supposing now that he had all that he needed. But first, he sent him down to see this multitude. I'm telling you, sometimes God will encourage you and lead you in a direction and are trying to help you with your fear and with whatever you're struggling with. And when you're praying, sometimes God's answer will be more frightening than your original fear. Here's Gideon sitting at least in the safety of his own camp and among his own men. And God says, go down, Gideon, I'll show you something. That's the very thing he was afraid of. But listen, listen how Richard Rogers describes it in 1615. Listen, this sending him to the camp of the Midianites so nakedly and unfurnished. What could it promise in likelihood and outward show but deadly danger? But hear the rest of God's words to him. Thou shalt, saith he, hear what they say, and thou shalt be confirmed thereby, and after that shalt thou go into the host of the Midianites and fear and dismay them till they be vanquished. By this we see that we have great cause to beware that we take not some part of God's word and leave the other lest we 
despise ourselves utterly of the whole and all benefit thereof, as Gideon had done. If he had taken one part of God's speech to him and left the other, this thing is too commonly offended in, not only by subtle sophisters whose sin is greater, but even by Christians. But then he says, more particularly, we may here see that God doth so order things according to his own good pleasure and purpose that he maketh his to find matter of joy where sorrow only and terror can be found. <laughs> he fetcheth light out of darkness, sweetness out of bitterness, and out of trouble, peace. For what might Gideon look for by going to the camp of his enemies so nakedly? But discomfort and hazard of his life, at least if he had not been slain and cut to a thousand pieces. Yet God intended that he and all the people should live and be comforted by hearing there that which he caused. For example, what might Abraham have looked for when the Lord bade him go from his friends and country to a place that he knew not, neither had anything in it, but was a stranger therein, what would he be looking for? Was not that speech of the Lord full of discomfort at his hearing? And yet we know that he obeying the Lord was not only furnished there, to be able to maintain a mighty family, even 318 persons. But also, his seed grew and multiplied as the dust of the earth. He was made the father of all believers that should come after him. And like the like may be said of Moses, sent, sending away from the house of Pharaoh's daughter, where he had been brought up so daintily, to go further and suffer affliction with the people of God in the wilderness. What is this but a fearful thing? Yet what a rare instrument did he make of him to work the greatest deliverance for his people that ever was heard of wrought among men. And then Roger says, even so, learn and know we that the Lord doth oft turn the greatest troubles of his to their greatest benefit and good if we wait patiently upon him. Yea, he giveth them far above that which they looked for in so much as if they were it were possible for them to be brought even into hell. This were but to raise them up to heaven. as experience can well tell. Oh, <laughs> oh, sometimes our God to deal with our fear, to deal with our, deal with our suffering, to deal with our hesitation, our God will lead us to a place that's more frightful than the place where we were. Think about Moses. Think about Joseph. Oh, Think about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
Would the Father lead him down this road, down to Gethsemane, to sweat drops of blood down to Calvary? Oh, yes. For what? For a greater outcome. Saint, when you struggle, just know this. Our God may lead you to a place. In your struggle, He may lead you to a place that at first appears to you more frightful than the place where you were. I'll have more to say about that later. I give you number six lesson Gideon must learn. Worship is the natural, and I put that in quotes. Worship is the natural, or if you prefer the word inevitable. Worship is the inevitable result of the consciousness of God's glory. Look at verse 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, as soon as Gideon realized that he was being made a witness of the greatness and glory of God. Verse 15 tells us then that he worshipped. He worshipped then and there. He worshipped then and there. Oh, I'm simply saying, let us learn what Gideon learned that night. That worship is the inevitable result of the consciousness of God's glory. The word worshipped. Wonderful word. It literally means to fall down flat. To crush. Oh, somebody said... One commentator said that this unexpected testimony of God's glory to Gideon overcame all of his melancholy apprehensions and he worshiped God. <laughs> Yet another said that God may well and truly be worshiped. God may well and truly be worshiped. Anywhere and any time that his glory comes clearly into view. Amen. <laughs> That's what's needed. That's what's needed to bring worship. The glory of God come clearly into view. There's Gideon with his servant sitting there quietly. Hidden away. Listening to these men talk. And suddenly the realization what God had done, that God was present with him, was overwhelming. And he came away from there and worshiped God. That's what's needed in our pulpits. Messages that glorify God. Messages that declare his sovereign glory and power. And that will bring the heart of the saint to worship.
God may well and truly be worshipped anywhere, anytime that his glory comes clearly into view. I'll give you a sidelight. Another has wisely said that night frights are of all the most frightful. It's night here. It was dark of night when the angel came and said, Now, Gideon, go down. Oh, how I can testify with that comment. Night frights are of all the most frightful. But on this night, our God puts all his frights to rest. Hallelujah. Notice this, Gideon and his servant must surely have kept quiet. He worshipped, but he was quiet. Can I just tell you, real worship is seldom ever noisy. Revelation 1 and 17, and when I saw him, I fell down at his feet as dead. Dead men don't make any noise. Real worship is seldom ever noisy. They stayed quiet. Gideon's response here reminds us of another faithful servant that the Bible tells us also worshipped at the realization of God's great glory and presence. That faithful servant was in Genesis chapter 24. And he's just called, in verse 2, the eldest servant of the house. We don't know his name. Just called the eldest servant of the house. And he too, like Gideon, was sent on a mission in verse 4. And he also got God's provision made for him before he'd even finished asking. <laughs> hey, chapter, chapter 24, verse 15 and verse 45. When he first started talking, God had already set the wheels in motion. Verse 26 in that chapter tells us he worshipped. He worshipped. Verse 48 tells us of it again. In verse 52, he was overcome with the power and provision of God. He was literally overcome by it. <laughs> oh, Elena loves stories, writing them, reading them, contemplating them. Here's a great story in Genesis 24. What a love story. What a love story. Rebecca. Wife for Isaac. Glory, glory, glory. What a love story. But oh, what a God. And that eldest servant in that household, he found it out. And verse 
26 tells us he worshiped God. I'm telling you, Gideon learned and we learned that God can be worshiped anytime, anywhere, that his glory comes clearly into view. Finally, I'll leave you with just one warning from this text. One warning. Rogers, in the quote that I quoted earlier, Rogers spoke of it, but only in passing. And I would like now to emphasize it. If you read verse 9 again, I give you this warning, be careful, be careful of hearing only part of God's words. You see in verse 9, if he took only the arise and get thee down, and did not also take into his heart, I have delivered it into thine hand, then his heart's going to be in trouble. His heart's going to be in trouble. There is the danger here. There is a danger in too much haste, too much zeal without full instruction. Now I say to you that while this is a crime to which youth is most susceptible, yet even an older saint may be tarnished with this malady, hearing only part of what the Lord said. The question that our Lord would surely ask to us as we journey along in the path of righteousness and as we seek to walk with Him and as we seek to search the Scriptures, the question that the Lord would surely ask us is not, what did I say? But what all did I say? Hearing all that God said, be warned, Gideon, be warned, saint, hear it all. And with all of this knowledge, with all of this knowledge, Gideon set out. He returned to the appointed place, and now he is crying, Arise! Verse 15, look at verse 15. Look at verse 9. The Lord said, Arise! And now we get down to verse 15. And Gideon is saying, Arise! <laughs> oh, listen now. God's words will become our words when faith has laid full hold on his power. You hear me? God's words will become our words by conviction when the heart has laid full hold on his power. Gideon's gone down there and he's listened. And he knows now. He knows now. For the first time since that first interview in chapter 6, he finally now knows 
God will do this thing. And now when we get to verse 15, what the angel has been saying to him all along, now we hear it coming out of his mouth. And God's words are now his words. And that's what will happen when faith has laid full hold on the power of God. God's words should become his words. <laughs> well, did old Roger summarize it when he said, Thus it behooveth us to grow to believe and rejoice in that which sometime before we could not. And that faith in one promise may bring and breed faith in another. That we being, in the words of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7, that we being rooted in faith may be confirmed as the apostle commanded, Grow and abound therein with thanksgiving. I said when the power of God is clearly and fully taken hold of by faith, God's words will become our words. May the Lord be pleased to make it so. Stand with me, please. And sing with me now. Number 136. searched and seen me through thine eye commands with piercing you my rising and my resting arms my heart and flesh with all their power my thoughts before they are mine own Are to my God distinctly known He knows the words I mean to speak Ere from my opening lips they break Within thy circling power I stand On every side I find thy hand Awake asleep at home abroad I am surrounded still with God 
amazing knowledge vast and great what large extent what lofty height my soul with all the power i boast is in the boundless prospect lost oh may these thoughts possess my heart where'er i roll where i rest nor let my weaker passion dare consent to sin for god is there